Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Welcome back to the Real Food, Real Conversations podcast. This is episode 95, which is crazy. I can't believe I'm so close to 100. Um, And I'm really excited today because I have Dr. Yummy on, and we are going to be talking about food relationships. And this is actually a topic I've really, really wanted to talk about because I think it's so important. Um, And I think she would agree. But first, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Can you please tell people all your incredible... um, background, your qualifications, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Sophia. What a pleasure. So I am a board certified pediatrician. I'm also a board certified health and wellness coach, and I have board certification in lifestyle medicine as well. And I've been practicing pediatrics for over 12 years now. I've always been interested you know, the lifestyle medicine concepts, but it wasn't until I myself adopted a plant-based diet and adopted veganism, which was over 10 years now, almost 11 years now that I really started learning more about the power of eating more whole plant foods, simplifying some of the concepts that I was teaching my families so that they felt more empowered to adopt the habits and behaviors that are going to support them in the well-being and longevity that they desired. So I've been spending the last few years of my life really helping people learn more about how to eat plants and how to integrate these habits and behaviors into their lives so that they themselves and their families can live long, healthy lives. I love it. Um, So you, do you, like when you see patients, do you, like, how does that work? Do you talk about plant-based diets? Like, do your patients come to you because of that? Yes, both. So I own my own practice. I have a pediatric micro practice here in Washington state. And because of that, I have a lot of control over my schedule, which is my favorite part of my job, but it allows me to have plenty of time to have these conversations, but also because I do emphasize these principles, these behaviors, a lot of families seek me out because it aligns with their values as well. But not everybody that comes to see me is eating a plant-based or even predominantly plant-based diet. And I start integrating it into the well child checks and any visit that I can, because it really applies to our lives throughout our lives, right? So from the very beginning, even when I do prenatal visits, uh, first time moms that they're pregnant with their first baby, I talk about how important it is for them to be mindful about what they eat because babies start tasting in the womb, believe it or not. And a lot of people don't know that. So Mm -hmm. once, once we get over the nausea and the morning sickness, making an (laughs) effort to try to include those leafy greens and those berries and those beans gets you a step ahead so that your baby someday is going to be more likely to accept those foods. So it applies to the whole, the whole lifespan. And that's what I love to talk to parents about. I love it. And I think that, you know, I think the thing is that, you know, being in this space, because we, I, 
created my business out of a life experience that my husband um, and I went through is after our um, second, we, my first two are 15 months apart. So mm-hmm. we had a baby when my first was one <laughs> and um, it wasn't planned that way, by the way, I went through three and a half years of fertility to have my first. So when we got wow. pregnant at like two months postpartum with my second, I was like, Ooh, yes, we're having another one, which we were thrilled about. Cause I wasn't going to go through fertility again. It was just too yeah. rough on my body. But, um, so we were thrilled and now we have three, believe it or not, we actually had a surprise <laughs> baby three years later. Wow. Um, but when we had our second, um, my husband had, uh, high blood pressure, cholesterol, most of his adult life, um, you know, most doctors were like, here are your meds, it's genetic, blah, blah, blah. And then after we had our second, his meds weren't working anymore, probably because of the stress of having two babies and he was traveling for work. And he started seeing a new cardiologist um, where we were currently living at the, um, well, we still live here, but in this area, he started seeing a new cardiologist who basically was like, look, you know, I can give you a different med, I can up your meds, or I treat a lot of my patients through dietary changes. If you're interested, mm-hmm here's some information. And my husband, I still remember the moment he came to me and said, I'm, I really want to do this. And at first I kind of laughed because I'm like, you're like this Italian meat and potatoes kind of guy. Okay. Um, and let's, I, we were, we were eating quote unquote healthy. It's not like Mm -hmm. we ate fast food or whatever. I mean, we had a whole, you know, a diet rich in vegetables and fruit. Like, it's not like we weren't eating healthy, but what, you know, what it turns out is that my husband's body just does not process animal products in the same way other people's do. Like he mm-hmm. could not do it. And so we know this because we did make a change to a plant-rich diet. Um, and three months later, he was off all his medication and has never been back. Wow. And so that is, you know, it's not necessarily going to happen to everybody, but that was a very night and day change for him. And now like he will, you know, we are very, we call ourselves plant rich, um, Mm -hmm. because we don't need, we don't want the pressure on us to like, we have to track every little tiny thing we do. I, when we're out, I kind of let go a little bit. I can't do gluten. My body doesn't process it. I'm probably, I don't know, might be celiac. I haven't tested because you, I don't want to do the whole, you know, gluten load thing, but my body, the last, I went through early onset menopause and through that, my body changed a lot. And so I have to really focus on gluten. My husband has to really focus on not eating meat and, you know, being very careful with eggs and dairy if he ever eats them. But at home, you know, having a plant-based website, we eat predominantly plant-based food. Um, But that's, we have three kids now that, you know, there's that line going into what we're going to talk about today of like, it's so important to eat plants. It's so, I mean, everybody, nobody's going to say it's not good for you to eat a lot of plants. It's just, you know, that's just common knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, but where do we have that? How do we do that? You know, how do you do that with your patients to where it is a a lifestyle that they adopt easily into their life versus this obsession of what we see in this plant-based world that I'm sure you see it a lot too of, unhealthy food relationships as related to these dietary changes? Well, that's a complex answer, but I will say that in my experience, the majority of people do not become obsessed and the people that are going to most likely develop unhealthy relationship with food, it's because they've struggled with food in the past. So it's not that going plant-based or changing to veganism is a trigger for them. They probably already 
have had issues with how they relate to food previously. And this is just another manifestation of that. A lot of it stems from diet culture and with orthorexia. Some of this stems from this purity culture that we have around food, even like using terms like clean eating, what does that mean? Things like that. And then some of it stems from thin culture and the, this desire and this obsession to be a certain body size, but I'm not really concerned that informing my patients or online informing the public about the benefit and the power of eating more whole plant foods is going to cause people to have an unhealthy relationship with food because the majority of people they're fine doing it the way that y'all are doing it, which is a predominantly plant-based diet or getting closer to that, teaching people how to integrate more whole plant foods into their diet, because let's be a hundred percent realistic Right now in the United States, our children are deriving 70%, 70% of their calories from ultra processed foods. So we're not in any kind of risk right now of our yes. children being having like a, a unhealthy mental relationship with eating too many whole plant foods. It's more that they're having a truly unhealthy relationship with eating too many processed foods which is leading to the potential increased risk of developing chronic disease. And it's not their fault. You know, we're stuck in this culture that that's just the way we eat the standard American diet, this Westernized diet. So I think that when we as healthcare providers, as health professionals, as health advocates, whether we're seeing people online, patients and clients online in person, group coaching, whatever, I don't think there should be any fear in informing people about the benefits of eating more whole plant foods. And then we just need to be aware of what are these risk factors for individuals where they might slip into that area of orthorexia or disordered eating, or maybe eating disorders, which are multifactorial and complex. And I, yeah, and I totally agree with you. It's just, I think that um, part of this information really needs to include guiding people to appropriate sources for, and like mm-hmm. what you said, you know, being in this online community, I see so much of this, um, like you said, clean eating. I can't stand that word. That is like a, when I hear that, it's like nails down a chalkboard for me. I've always felt that way, even like when they first, and I'm like, what does that mean? Clean, what, what does it mean? Like it drives me nuts. Um, but there's just so many sources and it, it, being a mom too, in a, when I, especially when I was raising my kids when you're younger in this, I live in a coastal beach town in Northern San Diego County. You know, we have our very privileged community and there's a lot of, you know, things about, oh, I, you know, you can't by any means ever let your child eat this. And it's mm-hmm. this navigation of things like, I want my kids to understand how important it is to eat plants and eat nutritious, wholesome food. But I also want them to understand you can also have birthday cake and it's okay. And it's fine. It's not like, if it's not a one or other, like, in fact, it's healthy to allow yourself and be okay eating birthday cake, because then you're not seeing that birthday cake and shoveling it down your throat. Like I've seen kids that I know their parents are like very, very tight with 
exactly what they're eating at all times. And you see them without their parents and they're shoving in that birthday cake. And that is not healthy. Like <laughs> that is like, there's something going on there where it's like, you know, I take my, yeah, my kids, there's many times they'll have a bite of something. They're like, yeah, I'm gone. It's too, it's too rich for me. It's too sweet for me. It's too much, you know? Um, but it's, yeah. you know, it, it and- it's, <laughs> Sorry, oh, go ahead. I keep interrupting. I was just going to affirm that because that's exactly what I write about in my book because I had the exact experience. I myself have a history of disordered eating, and this stems from my childhood. I started dieting when I was nine years old, more from pressure from my family. And that led to parental anxiety that my children might end up with my same quote fate or destiny, right? You know, like we have this fear that society is going to treat our children the way that they do with, you know, treat people in larger bodies, fat phobia, right? Yeah. And for some parents that causes them to behave in certain ways that really shows that anxiety there, we're trying our best to quote, protect our children from that, from bullying or whatever we imagine might be happening. So I did these things. I got to the point where it was like, you know, like as just all whole foods and no quote treats and all of this stuff. And that's exactly what happened because whenever you are purposely restricting something, especially if it becomes, if it extends to the point where a child is old enough to know the difference. I talk Mm -hmm. about this in my book that there's times when there's no need to expose your child to extra sugar and salt and all this stuff. Cause they don't know the difference. Like you don't, you don't need to give your two-year-old a bunch of treats all day long because you don't want them to quote miss out. They don't, they're not going anywhere. They don't know the difference, you know, their world is the house, you know, but once they get out into school and once they have friends and once they're going into birthday parties, If you're telling your child, don't eat that cake, it's bad for you. You're going to get heart disease. You're going to get fat, whatever these judgments we have, then it, it does trigger this false scarcity, right? And our brain is so sensitive to that. Whenever our brain feels restricted in any way, whether it's true restriction, which unfortunately can happen to some families with food insecurity. Fortunately, that's not something that our families experience, but some families really do experience true food insecurity. They don't have enough food. So either true food scarcity or this artificial or false scarcity, when we're restricting food from ourselves or for our children, that primitive brain freaks out. And then when it gets a hold of some food, it's going to try to get as much of that food as possible, which is a behavior you've experienced. I've experienced with my own children, with myself, you know, restrict binge. That is the whole cycle, restrict binge. And it happens to our kids when we do it to them. So I, in my book, talk about how families can navigate this, which is once your kids are in school, once they're out in the real world, seeing all this stuff, Yes, we should have conversations about tuning into our bodies and paying attention to our bodies, not in a judgmental way, but just in a way that we stay in touch with that. But it might be healthy for some families to allow their children to explore and have that ability to decide for themselves if they want a certain food and how much of that food they're going to eat, because that allows them to practice. If we're always 
portioning everything out for them or telling them exactly what they can eat and can't eat and that this food is good and this food is bad for you, then they're not ever going to be able to determine for themselves what's right for their bodies. And once they leave home, it's going to be a free for all. I'm just going to eat everything. And I'm not going to tune into my body because I never got this when I was a kid and you know how that cycle goes. And so totally, I had to learn it the hard way myself as a parent because of my own parental anxiety, which was caused by childhood trauma from my body size. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, you know, that's exactly the point. How are they going to learn? And if we take a step back, like zoom out a little bit as parents, we do that in so many other ways. Like we, Mm -hmm. you know, when they're learning to walk, when they're learning to play, when they're learning to write, when they're learning to read, why is it so different with food? Like, what if we didn't, what if we, what if, you know, you treated all those other things in that same way? Like that sounds silly. Whereas with food, it's so, it's just, you know, it's, it's mind boggling to me. So Yeah. I mean, that's like, we have a candy jar right on our counter. Like it's right out in the open. Like there's no hidden candy. There's no whatever. Like we have a candy jar and every once in a while they'll go in there and grab some candy. But they also, there's also times where my kids will, you know, we'll go out to dinner and, you know, perhaps they had earlier in that day, I don't know, they went out with friends and had frozen yogurt or whatever. And, um, you know, one of them will say, gosh, you know, I didn't, I didn't eat so great today. I think I'm going to order something a little healthier for dinner. You know, like they are starting to see these things themselves. And Mm -hmm. we try and model that as well. You know, like, you know, we were out all day. We got, you know, ice cream. We got treats. Like tonight we're going to do big old grain and salad bowls for dinner because, you know, we've kind of had a lot of stuff and my belly may not feel great. And if we keep, if we go out again, so I think we're going to stay home today. And, and they, they see those things. And Mm -hmm. I tell them too, I said, you know, dad has a certain way his body works. You are a combination of mom and dad. You may have that same problem dad does. You're not going to know until you're an adult because that's when it started for dad. You you may not know for a while, but we want you to know what it feels like to feel really good so that if and when you make certain choices in your diet and you start feeling bad, you're going to understand perhaps why, and you might have to make the choices that dad does, which means you're never eating. You're not eating meat because it doesn't work with your body. Mm-hmm. So that's like, you know, I, I do, I, cause we're not going to be around forever. Like they have to learn at some point. Exactly. And we're not going to go off to college with them. So no. <laughs> it's good to have them practice these concepts and these principles while they're under our roof, because our home environment is where I recommend people keep the, the healthy environment role modeling, right? So we're going to have lots of whole plant foods at home. We're going to role model sitting down, enjoying our meals mindfully, not being distracted. We're going to role model these healthy behaviors of moving our bodies and keeping our stress levels low and prioritizing sleep. And so they're going to learn all of that while they're here and they still have the safety net where if they go off to a party and they eat too much cake and drink too much juice and they come home and their tummy hurts, then we can talk about it openly. Like, do you think it could be related to what you ate or, or not, you know, and they can, you, they can decide, you know, and then they can start putting that into their memory data bank so that the next time they're in that situation, they can decide, okay, do I want to feel like this? Maybe I'll just 
do a little bit and not a lot. I'm not going to go wild with the cake this time, you know? Well, and I actually have a really funny story for that. My oldest son, when he was, I think, seven or eight, went to a birthday party and um, I think it was a birthday party and they ordered Pizza Hut. I don't know if you guys have Pizza Hut where you are, but it is Mm -hmm. like, it's not like, you know, it's not the best quality pizza, let's just say, Um, but it's cheap. And so my son loves pizza and ate a bunch of Pizza Hut pizza, Um, cheese pizza, whatever, comes home. And and we, when we go out for pizza, we always go to like good pizza places. Like I'm like, look, I'm not eating pizza unless it's good. There's no, I'm not eating anything, honestly, unless it's really good food. Um, So he has, he had not at that point had Pizza Hut and he comes home and um, later that evening he had tummy issues. Um, I want to say that it probably was a little bug because another one of my kids got it like a couple of days later. So it was probably a little bug, but he equated it with the pizza hut and he was on the toilet going, holding his belly, just crying, going, I'm never eating pizza hut again. I can't believe it. And I'm like, I tried so hard not to laugh. And I'm like, well, honey, like how much pizza did you eat? Yeah. You know, sometimes when we eat a lot of things we're not used to, like it bothers our tummy and okay, well that's, and to this day, he will say like, if you mention pizza hut to this day, he's like, oh no, I am never eating that. Poor buddy. Was, I know it was like, it was not funny, but it was so funny because he was just so, and he, and I did not mention it. Like it was all him that made that connection, which is like even funnier. And I'm texting my friend and we're just like, oh man, but you know, I mean, he connected the two of, he probably ate more than he should have. And it, it was probably a combo of a bug and probably too much pizza, but you know, he, to this day, he kind of knows like there's certain things I'm going to eat and certain things I'm not. Cause I know it bothered me in the past. Yeah. And that's um, a good way to support that healthy, intuitive eating because only he can tune into his own body. We can't tune into his right. body for him. Well, and that's the thing, like, I feel yes. And this whole like intuitive thing is so important for kids to understand and for adults to understand, right. That it, it's, it's really important to listen to your own body and what, you know, your body is saying to you. And I think so much of diet culture has taken over those decisions and we've forgotten mm-hmm. you, how to like, listen to ourselves, you know, cause you follow this one diet or this one diet, this one diet, and it tells you everything you're supposed to do, but then it kind of takes that off of our own intuition, like in, you know, saying like, well, I, I really, even, you know, some of these diets are so strict that if you don't feel like that, you're still doing it because it told you to. Mm-hmm. And, and studies show that by the age of five children have already unlearned tuning into their bodies. And a lot of it is wow. us as parents, because we keep forcing food. In fact, 85% of the time, parents are trying to get their kids to eat more food. So we're teaching them not to trust their own appetites or, you know, their own desires at the, at the mealtime. We're telling them, no, you shouldn't listen to your fullness cues. Keep eating because I want you to keep eating. Yeah. Well, I I wish it was like that in my house. It's the opposite. (laughs) We're like, you sure you're still hungry? You've kind of eaten quite a bit. (laughs) 
Um, actually, no, the third one is, is our, is our one, but no, and that is important to me. I mean, my husband comes from a big family and he was the youngest of four. And it's interesting because he, my husband eats really fast and he tells me that it's a learned behavior Mm -hmm. because when he was younger, all the siblings, if he wanted seconds, he would have to eat fast in order to get to the seconds because the food would be gone. Yeah. And in my family, it wasn't like that. My family, it was, we always leave enough for everybody if they want more. And, you know, just with also my, um, I think my upbringing and just my passion and whatever, I'm, I try really hard with, you know, our family dinners to be like, you know, if one of the kids is done in my house, they're like, what, you didn't, you didn't eat it all. Or I'm like, who cares? It doesn't matter. Like if they're done, they're done. I mean, the little one, sometimes it's, you know, it's, he's not done. It's just his own food issues that we're working on. But I'm like, you can't approach it to like, you have to eat your dinner. Like you really don't. I mean, and I've sent my, my, I've let my kids go to bed hungry plenty and they wake up in the morning. They're like, Oh, I'm starving. And I'm like, Hmm, that's weird. I wonder why that is. (laughs) What happened last night? And they're like, well, I didn't eat my dinner. I'm like, Hmm, yeah, I can see why you're hungry. I'd be starving if I didn't eat my dinner. And sometimes kids, you know, sometimes it's a battle, you know, it's a power struggle thing and they have to learn themselves. Like, I'm not going to sit here and force them to eat dinner, but I'm also not a short order cook. So if they don't, they don't want to eat dinner. I always make sure there's something on their plate. I'm not serving them liver and onions, you know, (laughs) like I always make sure there's something they enjoy. And if they decide today they're not eating red food, then that's not my problem. (laughs) So it's a, it's a fine line, right? Between teaching them and overtaking their, like you said, their intuition. Yeah. And that's why I love to teach the division of responsibilities, which was created by Ellen Satter, who's a dietitian. And that's that the parent has a certain role that they have to fill and the child does. And we try not to cross over into each other's jobs. The parent decides what, when, and where, and the child decides if and how much. And so just like you said, you decided this is what I'm serving for dinner. We're going to have it at 6 p.m. We're all going to sit at the table together. And then my job is done. I'm not going to get back up and do what my child is ordering me to do. I'm not going to go make a peanut butter and jelly or serve him a bowl of cereal, you know? Now it's his job to determine, am I going to eat this? And how much am I going to eat of this? And it just really simplifies everything and decreases the stress level. At first, when families aren't used to doing this, obviously it's going to increase anxiety a little bit because parents are so fearful that their children are not eating enough. That's the most common concern. The most common concern is parents are afraid that their child is not eating enough. And so they're just terrified that the kid is just going to just starve to death, you know? And so at first it might be a little bit more anxiety provoking, but once they realize that the child relaxes, then they relax and it just becomes so much more pleasant to eat together at the table. It doesn't become this power struggle where everybody ends up in tears. I remember those days where my kids were crying. I was crying because I just spent like an hour cooking this delicious meal. Nobody wanted to eat it. And I'm just like, what? It's so personal, right? It's the most frustrating thing ever. It feels so personal. You're like, I just spent all this time. And like, you're you're like, just eat it. I spent all this time. (laughs) It's so funny how personal it feels like when they don't eat the food you make. 
Yes. So that division of responsibilities really takes that pressure off. So you know that there's going to be times they eat a lot. There's going to be times they barely eat. There's going to be times that they, maybe they stick up their nose, but it's, you're not going to let it phase you. You just move on. And then it becomes easier for them because they know that you're not forcing them. They don't feel pressured. And when children feel pressured, when they're forced to eat, it actually has the opposite effect. They actually eat less and they eat less diversity of foods. So the pressure tactics aren't working anyway, and it's stressing everybody out. And so that's why I love teaching the division of responsibilities, because once parents start to practice that and apply it to their own family and situation, it just becomes more joyful. And joyful dinners are just, I mean, because like you said, it's the anxiety and the stress. If this, if this is what the, a child is experiencing their entire childhood is that food is connected to an anxiety and stress that can totally lead to eating problems when they get older, because Mm -hmm. that's the story that they've created. And they're, you know, in their subconscious that dinner times are anxiety and stress and, Mm -hmm. you know, dinner time, like we try so hard to have meals all together as many nights a week as we can to discuss how was your day and we have younger kids, but it's such an important building block for openness and discussion. And as, as they get older and they encounter real problems, like, you know, drugs and all those kinds of things. And I don't want dinner time to be filled with anxiety and stress because I want it to be a safe place. Um, but it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard. Like, for example, like, what would you say? So one thing that my youngest does, and I just he has things that he likes. He loves tacos. If I make tacos every day of the week, that kid will eat four five, six tacos, loves mm-hmm. tacos. So we always have tacos once a week. Cause we try and build our weekly menu with the boys. And I say, okay, everyone picks something that they want. And my rules, there's going to be some nights that dinner is not something that you is your favorite. And that's okay because it's, it's his favorite. And we have to, you know, make sure that everyone gets a favorite sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so but what we, so, but when it comes to other things, like there was a period where my youngest, like is he's, and it's to this day, he's not a huge pasta fan, which like the rest of us love pasta. So it's kind of, I'm like, how do you not love pasta? But okay. And he'll say like, well, did I eat enough now? Did I eat enough now? And my answer is, well, you have to determine is your belly full. But then my husband's like, well, he has to eat enough to have dessert. And I'm like, Why? You know, like, yeah, if you're not going to eat your dinner and I kind of say, well, honey, you know, if you're full and your tummy's full, it's probably not good for you to put any more food in it, including dessert, because that's not good for you to overfill your, fill your belly. And then he'll say, okay, well, I'm going to eat some more. So it's kind of like, it's that hard line of, I want to teach them that like dessert isn't a reward for eating food. And sometimes I have dessert that I've created, you know, because of recipe I'm testing. And sometimes dessert's just fruit. But we're, we know, where is that line between that? It's well for children like this. One of the things that's commonly recommended is that dessert is served at the same time as the meal. And if the child decides only to eat the dessert, then that's their choice. Remember you already did your part. You decided what, when, and where, so they may not touch the pasta. They may have the dessert. You might decide not to have dessert every night in that case. But you are a family that has dessert regularly, so you don't want to just eliminate dessert completely, but setting the rule that they have to eat, quote, enough until they eat dessert 
is, as you can see, has already set up an issue where he's not tuning into their, his body because he's asking you where, where's this limit that I need to, this enough limit that I need to reach until I can be granted dessert. And children learn these things very quickly because that's what we're, we're teaching them. But every child is different. Every child is born with different preferences and and children are born with this. They're born with different preferences. They're born with different levels of enthusiasm for eating in general. You know, like my older one, he's like me. We are highly enthusiastic food people. Like there is hardly a food that we ever rejected in our lives. And then there's ones that are more selective. Like my lung, my younger one has always been a little bit more, you know, skeptical of food. But once I learned the principles of the division of responsibility and intuitive eating, I learned that just, you keep putting it out there, keep putting it out there. And he, his repertoire, his palate has expanded significantly. I mean, it's just amazing to see how it changes over time, but I have to be careful, even though I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I've been practicing this for years now. I teach it. There's still times where inside, I just want to be like, eat the damn salad kid. Seriously. Like, and I have to bite my tongue. And I know that that's not the right thing to say. Like he needs to decide. And there's yes. times when, if we make a salad that, cause he even told me the other night, cause he loves anything with peanut butter. So if I make like a Thai salad with a peanut dressing, he will have three bowls of that, like eat like nothing else, but he, he still doesn't like anything with like the vinegars or the balsamic vinegar. And so he's learning to like that still, but it's just, it's just funny that I still, after all these years, still have the urge to intervene and tell my child what to eat, even though I know better. So I know what it feels like. And I'm not trying to make any parent feel bad about what they've done, because this is how we learned it from our parents and they learned it from their parents. And so it's just really about breaking that cycle and biting your tongue and taking a deep breath. If you have to stand up and go to the kitchen and take a deep breath in there, it's just all about practice. And you're just not going to be perfect at these principles, but play around with it and see what happens. Well, and my, it's funny you say that my oldest and me are, are very enthusiastic with food and my middle one used, was very, very selective when he was younger as well. And he, as he's gotten older, he is now willing to try almost anything, but sometimes says, no, thank you. And that's kind of what I've said. If you don't like something, you don't have to eat it. Or if you want to try it, go ahead. But you don't, if you don't like it, you just say, not my favorite, you know, it's fine. So I think that the younger one perhaps has kind of seen just that, that those has kind of seen the models of his older brothers where, you know, the middle one, I I think he'll be fine. He's just, he's also extremely small and Mm. very, very skinny. And Mm. so I have to, there has to be some sort of, you know, some sort of like, what are you going to eat to fatten you up? You know, because he, and I think part of it is normal. I'm going to stop you right there though. Because that's where we run into problem. And so I talk about body size a lot because our anxiety related to body size, whether we feel our children are too small or whether we feel our children are too large, just like my experience, right? Like I was afraid my kids were going to get too large because I was seen as quote, too large as a child, right? So that starts to define our behaviors when we feed our children. So we do have to take step all the way back to the beginning. And I see this a lot with 
little babies, like little preemies, IUGR babies, babies that had trouble gaining weight, that parent has so much anxiety. There's so much pressure to get that baby to gain weight. It stays with them for a long time. And so it crosses over into the feeding experience once the, once the child starts eating solids. And then the, you know, the most tragic thing that happens is the child becomes a toddler. And when they become toddlers, their growth acceleration goes down. So they're not growing as fast as they did when they were infants. So their appetite naturally decreases and their interest for other things increases. And so now the parents really stressed out because it just seems like this kid is barely eating enough to sustain their life. And then that's when the pressure starts and the pressure starts and it builds and it builds. And that's why by the time they're five, they just, they're not able to tune into their bodies anymore. So we do have to be really cautious about the body size thing, because for most children, unless they have a pervasive developmental disorder, like autism or some other chronic, you know, problem with their muscles that, you know, their oral motor function isn't right or something like that, where they have this chronic condition where they just simply can't eat, or they have a chronic medical condition where they can't absorb food or something like that. For the majority of children, their body size is predominantly genetically determined. So whenever we are trying to force them to eat more because we want them to look like their siblings or look like somebody else or be bigger, then we start to mess with this intuitive eating. But in the end, it may not even make a difference in their size because their body wants to be the size it wants to be. And they're just going to be uncomfortable trying to eat more or trying to change their eating style. So it is something that I have parents think about, and we discuss it a lot in the office. And that's, yes, totally. And, um, and I totally agree with that. And I don't, I'm pretty good at, I just try and make sure that on his plate, he has something he likes that is substantial, like protein, um, healthy fats, things like that. Because I also, he also gets cranky if he's not like my middle one is the, if you were to, if you were to look up hangry in the dictionary, that's my middle child. I can tell when he comes home or when he's you know, arguing with his brothers, I can look at him and go, honey, are you hungry? And he'll stop and go, I think so. And (laughs) he will eat and he will feel better. And so like, that is my oldest one is the easiest of all my children. Like he eats everything he likes. He doesn't get hangry very often. He's kind of like me. The others are kind of like my husband. I can tell when my husband is hangry as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm always like, would you like to eat something dear? <laughs> um, so that's like, I just, I, it's that, you know, that fine line between, but like you said, there are things that he loves to eat. And I try and make sure that he has that for dinner. You know, we always do tacos once a week, a hundred percent. Sometimes we'll re redo that as burritos or crunch wraps or something like that. In fact, I introduced crunch wraps the other day. And I had tacos written on the, on the board and he goes, this isn't a taco. <laughs> like, well, it is a taco. It's just in a different form. And he kind of looked at me like, Hmm, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> but it's, it was really funny. Cause he's like, this isn't a taco. Like it is a taco, honey. It's just shaped differently. I thought I would make it exciting, but you like the plain old taco. Fine. Duly noted. Um, <laughs> but yes, no, there is that. For sure. And I try really hard to, I want my boys to have, because I, I, I don't like when people say to me, you're so lucky you have boys. And I'm like, well, I am lucky I have boys because I love my boys, but, and it doesn't mean boys 
don't have unhealthy food relationships, that doesn't mean boys, you know, can't have eating disorders. And I still want to give them, you know, that environment where they do have a healthy food relationship, not only for themselves, but also if and when they choose to marry a woman, they are in a place where they can support their wife or maybe one day their daughter in a healthy food relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think we all deserve a healthy food relationship and you're right. It doesn't matter your gender or sexual orientation or anything. I mean, we live in a culture where there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to be a certain body size. There's a lot of pressure to eat a certain way. And so, and I also only have sons and I had to learn these lessons because I made choices that led to certain behaviors in my children that I felt were not going to serve them well for the long term. So obviously it affected them, you know, and I want them to grow up feeling confident and confident, not just about their bodies, but confident about their food choices. I want them to be able to navigate the world in a way that they don't question every single thing they eat and and have guilt or shame when they eat. Like there's no place for guilt or shame when it comes to eating. Right. And that's really what I want to help parents learn. And it's not some kind of smooth linear journey. We're all Mm -mm. learning. We've all had our traumas. We all live different generations, different cultures. Just like you were talking about your husband, he experienced true food scarcity. And I've seen this with big families where there's like this fight to get enough food because it's a big family or, you know, one, one child needs to eat more. And so then another child that's a slower to get to their food, doesn't get as much as they'd like. And so he was a little bit traumatized by that. And that has led him to have certain behaviors in how he eats, but also how he feeds his children. So having that awareness and having that insight about ourselves, how we feed ourselves and what we live, live, we've lived through in our lives can help inform us in the choices we make when we're feeding our children. And it's not ever going to be perfect, but we can learn as we go and try to do our best. Yes. And that's the point doing our best. And that's kind of like, you know, and also educating yourselves, you know, if you're unsure about something and that's why kind of, I, I love having this podcast separate from social media platforms is I can, I can open up discussions and talk about things without, you know, any judgment, whatever Mm -hmm. it, you know, instantly by people. And this is like, you know, I like to share this because it's like, I bring informed experts on to talk about real things that it's happening in, you know, and I've seen it with friends, like, I've seen it, you know, we have a good friend who they have, you know, we, we, when we go to dinner with them, I like cringe and I try so hard to like bite my tongue. Cause I'm like, no, you cannot force your child to like, you know, the kid is clearly done, but it's like this forcing of, you got to eat more. You didn't eat enough. And I'm just like, oh man. Oh. And, you know, just slightly, Hey, I've had a new podcast episode. Do you want to listen to it? <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I've been in those situations too, where I've had to take lots of long, slow, deep breaths, but also get into my body and empathize with them Yes, because they have a lot of fear. Yeah. There it's coming from a place of fear. They want to be a good parent so bad and they want their kid to be okay. So bad that this is the behaviors that they've learned. And a lot of us have. 
Thankfully, some of us have learned other ways of being. And I hope that this message gets to a lot of parents that are struggling and feeling so much stress about feeding their children that there is a better way. They just need to start practicing different techniques so that they can find a way to feed themselves and feed their children that's joyful and yes, lower in stress. A hundred percent earlier. But yeah, a hundred percent. And that's the number one message is food should bring joy. I mean, food is a center of so many um, cultures and food is meant to gather people and to make it a happy thing. Like eating should not be unhappy. You know, it Mm -hmm. should bring joy and bring people you love together. And um, the sharing of food is showing love. Like that is a love language for me. I'm Greek. My nationality is Greek. And and Mm -hmm. my mom growing up, you know, she actually, my mom actually lived in true food scarcity. She grew up extremely poor in the villages of Greece mm-hmm. and they didn't know if they were going to have food when they were younger. Um, and it, she, I mean, it, very poor. My mom is the typical story of the immigrant that came to the United States and built a life for herself. Like mm-hmm. she is like my hero. It's amazing what she has done. Um, but growing up, you know, my mom, anytime I had friends over, she's like, oh, let me feed you. Like it just, that was just you know, in the Greek culture, you know, that's food is a love language. Like you have food for people, you provide food for people, and that's how you show love. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, I equate, I have memories of certain dishes, certain things that the memory itself makes me feel happy because it's just was my memories of my childhood, my happy memories. And there, a lot of them are associated with you know, certain, you know, certain um, cultural foods, because it's a celebration, like, you know, Christmas, I associate with these great Christmas cookies, because I made them together with my mom and grandma, and we did it every Christmas. So um, food should be happy, you should have happy memories, not stressful memories. Yes, that sounds so amazing. I've been to Greece. And the food there is literally some of the most amazing in the world. I cannot wait to go back. We're going to take our sons back next summer. But- Honey, we are so my family is we went th- two three years ago we were supposed to go last summer but because of covid we try and go every couple years as like a whole my sister's family my family and my parents and we were supposed to go didn't go we were so we moved it to this summer we aren't going again because mm-hmm. my mom wants to give it another year and so we're going next summer as well cool we want to hit crete this time so very excited oh, to try you, a different island you know but, i lived you know- on crete for a year no way. Oh, yep. so lucky. I love Greece. Like I literally would move there. I told my husband, I was like, I'm ready to move. I love it here. I love Greece. But one of the things you hear a lot is going to this opposite extreme of food should be only fuel. Like we should only see food as fuel and keep the pleasure as low as possible. And a lot of this comes from a community that believes heavily that everybody has food addiction and that we should have no pleasure from our food. But really when it comes to the research, it shows that when we derive pleasure and satisfaction from our food, we actually tend to not overeat because it's satisfying us. It's satisfying us, not just at this you know, this neurochemical biological level, but it's, it's satisfying us in an emotional, like this deeper emotional level of our soul, you know? So I think it could be both. I think that food 
can and should be fuel and it should be good fuel for us, but I think it should also be pleasurable. And I think there's a place for food and celebration and culture. And like you said, that's an important part of our lives. It's an important part of bonding with our family. So I don't think we need to see anything negative about that. And there's a way that we can align them both. And I agree for sure. Like when I'm, if I'm doing a, if I know I'm doing like a, you know, a big workout, I know that I need to make sure I, you know, get some good quality fuel in my body to be prepared for that. Um, but I also, at the same time, you know, sometimes when it comes to dinner, I mean, for my son's birthday was on Monday and um, for breakfast, we, you know, we talk about breakfast, like we are big on oatmeal protein smoothies, like fruit and granola and yogurt. And like, we talk about starting the day with a good wholesome breakfast, but you know, Monday was his birthday and we wanted to have fun. So we had waffles with ice cream and he will always, you know, like the kids, all their teachers told me about how the kids like just went to school with the biggest smiles because they had waffles and ice cream for breakfast. And it was such a fun experience, you know, and it was, it's a memory that my son will remember. And so that day we ate food for the emotional memory versus the fuel of the day. So, well, that's ironic that you would say that because today is my son's, my oldest son's 17th birthday. Oh my gosh. We had waffles with whipped cream today for breakfast. How funny. That's hilarious. I included lots of beautiful fruits because I wanted to take a good picture for my social media. It looked really pretty and colorful, (laughs) but yeah, it's a, it's a celebration. It's his birthday. You only get one a year and it was delicious and everybody was so happy and that's totally okay. A hundred percent. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for, um, being here and giving us all this amazing information. I um, have your um, website. I have the website linked. Um, I have your veggie fit kids linked. Um, and I, do I have, I'm not sure if I have your book. So if you, um, is your book on your website? Yes. And it's available on online everywhere. If you could find it, it's called a parent's guide to intuitive eating, how to raise kids oh. who love to eat healthy. Yep. And I do have that. I have it in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. So I know that moms awesome. are busy and they can't sit down and read a book usually. So putting it in your earbuds while you're washing the dishes and making dinner is a good option too. Such a great idea. I love that. Yes. Or taking a long drive as we Uber around town because <laughs> we're Ubers now. Nice. Um, but yes. Awesome. Yes. I actually do have that. I found it. Perfect. I have all those linked for everybody listening. Um, And I just really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. It's um, such great information. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And yeah, anytime I'm happy to be of service. And everyone listening, thank you for being here as well. This podcast is nothing without all my um, listeners. And um, if you love my podcast, I would so appreciate and rate and review because the more I have the more my podcast gets out there and the more I can get amazing guests and experts. Um, And ultimately my goal is to have these amazing guests and experts for all of my listeners so that they can learn. So thanks everybody. And we will chat soon.